Welcome, welcome, welcome back to the Mining Your Business podcast, a show all about process mining, data science, and advanced analytics. Tim Hills, IKEA, Meatballs, Billy Bookcase, and Process Mining. Jakub, please assemble this podcast intro yourself. Um, sorry, I don't have a manual. Ah, well, quick disclaimer before we get into it. The numbers in this episode are based on understanding at the time. But as it's still exploratory work at Inca, they're illustrative. All right, with that out of the way, let's get into the episode. Hey, Patrick, you always ask me in the intro about how am I doing? And, you know, let me return the favor and ask you, how are you doing today? Oh, this is weird. This is a new one. Uh, I'm doing well. Thank you, Jakub. <laughs> I also have another question for you. And that's, mm-hmm. uh, when was the last time you had something ordered from Ikea? Ooh, uh, two and a half years ago. A big closet. And how was your experience? <laughs> it was actually, it was, it was lovely, actually. It was great. Arrived on time, all the parts, couldn't complain. Wow, I, I have a feeling that our today's guest will have something to do with it. But before I get into the introduction of our guests, I will also say that I had experience with the delivery just today because um, I moved recently and I was thinking how to improve the sound acoustics uh, for recording the podcast. So I ordered the carpet, had it delivered, everything on time, perfect. Um, but then there was this little customer experience feature at the end when the driver was like, who has a small carpet like that ordered to his house for this type of money? <laughs> I was like, okay, uh, interesting insights. Um, I'm, st- I'm still happy <laughs> to have this carpet here, but uh, it is what it is. And today we actually bring uh, a very, very interesting guest, uh, Tim Hills. Tim Hills, welcome to our podcast. It's a pleasure to have you. Many thanks. Thank you for having me. Um, starting uh, with this type of question, do you think a customer experience can be impacted by a well-executed process? Absolutely. And yeah, well, I, I really hope so. That's one of the areas that we're really working with, with uh, deploying process mining within uh, Inca. Uh, because, yeah, the if we actually look at customer placing their order and, and receiving it in and us meeting that customer expectation, so being on time in full, absolutely. It's uh, and and we also do see that. What some of the things mm-hmm. that we'll discuss a bit later on is the mm-hmm. the the customer experience and the feedback that we get when we do things as we should do, or indeed the impact where things don't quite happen the way we wish them to be. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Now, uh, Tim, you mentioned a name, Inca. I also mm-hmm. said something about IKEA. We had this little discussion before the recording. Uh, I would be very happy to hear how do these companies actually, uh, how does it actually unfold? What does it mean? What is Inca? What is IKEA? Sure. So IKEA, when you come to our stores, the big blue boxes with the white, with the yellow writing on the side, mm-hmm. uh, following the, the, the Swedish national colors, uh, that's the, the concept. That's what the customers then see. Uh, we then have the owners of the franchise and the people that uh, are responsible for setting the products and, and, and the concepts of our stores and so on, uh, which is inter IKEA systems. I'm then representing the primary franchisee of that group, uh, Inca. Uh, and then within that, I because Inca also has three main sections, and I then work in the retail domain. So working then with our end customers and in-store experience, order fulfillment and so on. Mm-hmm. So now you, you actually work as a process and data inside development manager, and you mm-hmm. also say that it's on the customer side. So 
what does it mean and what I assume you are um, overseeing processes and what kind of processes are you actually overseeing there? Certainly, because I, I mean, with my with with my background in IKEA, the previous role that I had before um, the the process and data insights development manager, which is a ridiculously long job title, I do need to get, <laughs> that's, that's that's the first phase of optimization I need to go through. Um, I, I was the um, stream lead in our order to cash process, uh, looking at an SAP project and so on that we were implementing. So when um, our SAP project uh, where where that was going and, and, and as that was ongoing. We noticed that we had a particular issue in our sales order flow. So if, if you come to our store to buy the rug and mm-hmm, you take mm-hmm. it home yourself, those processes all work as expected. Right. We have more of a challenge in the examples that the, the two of you gave at the beginning here of ordering online for delivery and those extra steps involved. Uh, it's still something that we're building into our concept and we're getting more familiar with and more familiar with the customer expectation. So mm-hmm. what, what I'm then responsible for, so this uh, process and data insights, uh, we've then created our process and data insights lab, PDIL, uh, which uh, is then what I'm the, the COE lead of. And at the moment, the first process in which we're deploying is uh, in our sales order flow. Mm-hmm. So uh, we will be growing beyond that, and that's something we'll also talk about a little bit later. But right now, we initiated a, a transformative initiative within Inca called SOM, Sales Order Movement. Mm-hmm. And I'm then the head of process insights and analytics within that project, uh, really then looking at our, uh, yes, the, the end-to-end order flow from mm-hmm. the point to which the customer places their order through to fulfillment, mm-hmm. and then potentially any after-sales processes. Mm-hmm. Um, a question here, actually. Uh, you've been in the field of process improvement and you know subject matter expertise for quite a while now. Mm-hmm. Um, when did you, you know, insert process mining into the equation, and how does it fit the overall picture of your process uh, management topic? Certainly, because yeah, I've been in process development within Inca for nearly ten years now, and I, I just over two years ago, it was actually on my 37th birthday, I started doing um, a lot of online training through Coursera, LinkedIn Learning, mm-hmm. things like that. And one of the courses that came up was from Will van der Alst, Process mm-hmm. Mining Data Science in Action. And and I loved that course. Fantastic <laughs> content. And, and nice and geeky and technical. Um, <laughs> but But the thing is then it's going beyond that to actually then deploying that into reality and actually not just being interested in the numbers and the data, but actually the outcome of that data and deploying that uh, those insights into something that improves operation. Uh, and then, so yeah, as, as we were going through with this sales order movements, it was apparent that we had lots of ways of saying, we think we've got this kind of problem or we think we've got an issue here, but the ability to articulate that and to actually get some data as a result of that or some data to give you a result, we were really limited in our ability to do so. And, and we've been talking with uh, certain providers of process mining uh, capabilities, uh, one of which was Salonis. And um, yeah, it was just a case of we, we, We'd had conversations about it in the past, but the maturity of the business to actually be able to incorporate that into 
um, way of thinking and our rationality mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. took a little bit of time. But as that, that then sort of reached a tipping point, and then we started looking at, we did a proof of concept. And mm-hmm. then just over a year ago, I was asked to then lead this, um, basically what we're then delivering is process insights as a service. Mm-hmm. Sales orders will be our first process, our first paradigm. And then we look to deploy it throughout the rest of the business, which we're already starting to do. Mm-hmm. I'm always curious as to see when big companies or enterprises decide to deploy such a thing as process mining. I'm always curious how what the timeline is on this, because I know that some are self-starters and do 20 <laughs> processes in the first year and things like that. And some are, you know, a little bit more reserved and try to do one and get the most out of that um, as, as they can and then see maybe in the next year or after the year after that to see where next they could deploy this technology. So where does where does uh, Inca fall into, into that? I thing? think... Actually, I was I was having exactly this conversation with my account executive from Salonis, uh, Manu. Um, I think the first question I would like to ask there is, does, what is a process? Because does everybody have the same definition of what a process is? Because I, I also reflected on um, Timo's presentation at Cellosphere uh, when he was sort of saying, right, look at doing two or three use cases within a process and then start looking into other processes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, the thing is, the process that we're taking is the full end-to-end of the sales order process. Mm-hmm. And and when I've sort of spoken with some other uh, customers where they say, look at the picking process or the delivery process, I'd consider that a sub-process. And, and so it's calibrating what we mean by these things. Because ideally, or, or, or the, the way that we look to deploy this is looking at, say, order to cash, source to pay, record to report, hire to retire as a process in which case there are only four, five, six kind of processes. Mm. And so when people say we've looked at 20 processes, I'm thinking, what 20 processes? (laughs) And and, and, and so from that calibration, that's been a really interesting series of conversations. And that kind of thought process was also triggered when we saw process sphere and and business minor Mm. and seller sphere and so on, where it's like you can take these bits of the process and connect them together into object-oriented processes and it's and, and i remember um you know the facial expressions between me and my, my my colleagues who were there as well it's like that's what we're doing that's what we've started so it's a really interesting um conversation with and and, and exactly as you say sort of going back to your question which i've taken a bit of a circuitous <laughs> route to get to um understanding the what we've gone after first is where we felt we've had the biggest pain and also where we have the biggest passion and momentum. Mm-hmm. So there has been sort of that emotional aspect for it. And also as well as then easier to get the buy-in because someone's then saying, we've got a problem we want to go after. If you can come in and say, we think we have a way to help do that, mm-hmm. it's a much easier journey for us to go through. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and yes, that will be very, very different f- throughout different corporations. And that's really something that we've learned when talking with different groups, because um, if you have a very top-down structure, things can look very different from if you then take sort of the, the Swedish structure and Swedish mentality, where mm-hmm. it really is management by consensus, um, a lot of collaboration, a lot of consensus involved. We're also, as a business, we've always been very front-led, so it's closer to the customer, guides the principles. Mm-hmm. But our customers are not the same across 360 stores in 30 plus countries. So, yeah. so you know, you, you, you've got quite a bit of um, fluidity and flexibility there. So I, there will not be one answer to that question. But I think that if you've, without 
that some senior stakeholder buy-in and some support to really drive this through the organization, it's going to flounder a little. Mm -hmm. Um, And and then from that perspective, we've got a lot of support from our CFO, from our global business Mm -hmm. operations Mm -hmm. manager. um, And then that's now starting to evolve throughout the rest of the organization, through our digital organizations and so So, um, yeah, start where you've got the passion and grow it from there. (laughs) Yeah, we also heard this before about the top-down support and uh, how important this is to to really get the necessary resources and drive the initiative forward. Um, we even did a solo episode on this uh, mm. with Max Röglinger, so yeah. very interesting for you guys. If you want to listen to it, just go back and uh, and do so. Um, but moving forward, um, you in IKEA work on something called perfect order, and you kind of defined it here already, uh, sort of when you said what is actually the process. And I find this also very interesting because it's never as simple as taking one one, one identifier would be a, a sales order or the final invoice and just put it in there without the context. So how do you currently look at your perfect order process and what can we and the audience uh, picture and imagine when we say, okay, this is IKEA's perfect order? Certainly. One of the things that we're really trying to do is um, use uh, some external benchmarks to uh, also make sure that we've got some comparability with the rest of the market. So the the base definition that we're using is from APQC. uh, And there is a perfect order definition there about the perfect capturing, um, allocating the inventory, delivering on time in full with the correct tax document. Those are sort of the basic principles. And, And we're then um, sticking to that as much as possible, because then that is going to give us the best ability to um, set a baseline that we can then compare internally. But also then when we compare to other retailers, CPG, other companies of our size, because um, APQC has the ability to do those, those analyses, uh, we can then really see where we are and we can we can mm-hmm. benchmark ourselves. Um, so yeah, when when we then take that as a base, that's when we look to mirror that in what we can see in um, Process Explorer and so on within Salonis so that we can then say the business events that we've then captured from our systems, and many of our systems are in-house built and a few off-the-shelf solutions that interact um, uh, generally pretty successfully. But then what we need to do is understand, okay, capturing of the order, that's this event here allocating of the inventory that's here, mm-hmm. uh, so on and so forth. And then when we talk about the on-time delivery, that's the one that we're just uh, finalizing at the moment. That's then understanding what was our promise to the customer in the first place, mm-hmm. and then when did we actually deliver the goods. So mm-hmm. your rug, hopefully, you wanted it to be delivered today, and we did deliver it today. That would be the dream. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and 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 so that's then the perfect order. And, of course, we want to maximize that as much as possible. But the counter to that is, well, what are the things that cause an order to be imperfect? Because Mm -hmm. that's ultimately then what are the levers that we can pull to either increase the rate of perfect order or decrease the rate of imperfect? And then even when we do things perfectly, that doesn't necessarily mean that we do them optimally because Mm -hmm. we can do the perfect sequence of events, but are they all done in the right way? So that's that's also that next level of analysis that we can do. But right now, the the current focus that we've got is then analyzing 
Once again, going back to the process explorer, we've got a series of events that must happen for in order to be perfect. But then there's another series of events that must not happen because mm-hmm. if they do happen, that's what we identify as being imperfect. Mm-hmm. And then it's that breakdown of the analysis of those events. I think we've got 31 of those at the moment where we can then say, right, when this event occurs, what is the impact of that? And then what are the root causes of that impact? Mm -hmm. And how do each of those events interact with each other? Because just analyzing what happens when this event occurs, actually within Salonis, you can do that with the conformance check. Mm -hmm. But what we're now starting to do is look beyond that to then really say, right, and how do all of those interact with each other? And what are the root causes of that? And that's what we'll discuss when we get into the the data fun in a little while. Hmm. I kind of wanted to ask you, you said that you take your perfect order definition from my well-established sources, I'm assuming. Mm -hmm. Um, But I was also going to ask, does that translate to the perfect customer experience? Like do do those things like intersect like in the middle or is it more of a, um, even though it's a perfect order, we might not still have the perfect customer experience. That's there's definitely um, an intersection between the two, but there's also definitely things that the customer would expect for uh, the consideration of a perfect order that we might not want and vice versa. Mm -hmm. For example, customers may want a lot of freedom in changing, updating, and doing things to the order. Mm -hmm. That may cause uh, what we would consider to be imperfect. And that calibration of those definitions, that's also something that the what we're able to investigate now can actually give that input into so that we can get either consensus between a company perfect order and a customer perfect order or a clear articulation of potentially what the differences are. Now, ideally, uh, and Inca is a very uh, customer-focused company, mm-hmm. our, our ethos, our, our tagline is uh, a better everyday life for the many people. So it really is then about that being customer-centric. And that's definitely a perspective that we do need to have. But it's then balancing that because it's taking the right thing at the right time to make sure that we are pulling the right levers at the right moment to then mm-hmm. get that result that we're looking for. Mm-hmm. Now, I kind of want to create this bridge into our second part of the discussion, which is the data science part. Mm. And I'm wondering if you are a company that does process mining for a year or two, uh, such as yourself. So I assume that you have built a few reports, you have some insights, you have um, you, you mentioned uh, over 30 activities, uh, over mm-hmm. 30 mm-hmm. Uh, events that are occurring there. Uh, how do you make this next step into a proper and adequate analysis? So, so what does it even um, conclude or, or, or captures in, in your opinion? Sure. Because there can be so many different paths that you can take uh, into abs- analyzing the data. Absolutely. And... and, and- the the thing is at the moment we are exploring in some mm-hmm. way shape or form as many of those as possible because we do have people in the company with a huge amount of experience i mean i i've been with inca now for just under 18 and a half years mm-hmm. in in my previous team that made me the third least experienced person oh wow one, one of my team members back in november hit 40 years oh, and wow. um and so if you then listen to the people who have the experience, they've got a sixth sense and a gut feeling around, look, we've got pain here, pain here, pain here. Now, we're not necessarily going to make decisions purely on that. We then want to explore the data to then say, right, 
Is what you're sensing genuinely the challenge? Is there another input to this? Is there another influence, another perspective? So we definitely take that. We look at the the feedback from the countries because, once again, they're the ones meeting the customer. Mm-hmm. It's the co-workers in the customer support center who are answering the phone calls, the co-workers in the store helping the customers plan their kitchens. They know because they experience what is then really hitting and hurting. But what process mining then gives us the ability to do is accelerate and optimize that analysis. And we, we had one example in, there was a team doing a time and motion study in the kitchens department. They spent 10 or 12 hours in that department. They analyzed six kitchens. They found a certain pattern. With four clicks of the mouse, we could show them it had happened over 6,000 times. So you can really get that quantification, the acceleration, the industrialization of the quantification is a real potential. And then also as well, if I take my team and my center of excellence, um, we've been talking with multiple countries on multiple topics for some time now. Mm-hmm. We have an idea, you know, we can see where the smoke is coming up and with, you know, where there's smoke, there's fire. And, and we are <laughs> getting better and better at saying, look, there's a potential issue here. There's something to look at there. But the reason that we're looking at moving into this data science area and really going into the depths of getting the data to tell us stuff Mm -hmm. is that I can do the analysis or, or our team can do the analysis based on what we can see. And we can say, this is a small, medium or large problem. But when I get my senior stakeholders come to me and say, what are our three biggest issues? I have no idea and no ability to say whether or not the things that I found are the biggest issues. Right. So and they are the three biggest issues you found so far. Correct. So far. Correct. <laughs> they, they, they are three sufficiently big issues that we should definitely pay attention. <laughs> but whether or not they are the biggest things that are going to move the needle in the biggest way, that's a real, that, that's a completely different question. And, and, and our ability to actually analyze the data that we have available to come to an answer on that is totally different. So, so if I if I take a just a little brief example, if we were to say because we do kitchens, we do bedrooms, we do sofas, mm-hmm. we do um, you know the whole range of your home. Um, now, kitchens is a big area when you're ordering a kitchen, and there are appliances, and there are the cabinets, there are the custom worktops, there are the you know whatever else will then go into your potentially then some electrical work, plumbing work, gas work, lots of things are involved. Um, They are high-value orders, complex processes, and so on. Um, When it comes to bedrooms, I mean, like a a, a big cupboard, if you go to get like the big PAX wardrobe. Mm -hmm. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah, yeah. I knew exactly which one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's always that one. Um, Because you've also then got all of the stuff that goes in the wardrobe, right? You've got the beam that you hang things from and the shoe rack and all of those kinds. Um, now, if we were to just say, right, we've got a certain perfect order rate within the company, which based on our current analysis is running at about 80%. Mm-hmm. The question is, is that the same across our entire range? Is that the same in kitchens, bedrooms, or other? Let's just take those three options. Now let's also consider, did the customer come into our store go online either through the app or on on a a laptop or something? Or did they then ring our customer support center for then our remote selling team? 
When we then said, right, this is what we're going to provide to the customer, did it come from one of our stores or did it come from a central place? When you were maybe ordering a kitchen, did you have a planning service before you then, or did you have a measuring service so that we had the really confirmed measurements in your kitchen? Did you do the installation yourself or did we do the installation? Now, if we take these variables here, so kitchens, bedrooms, or other, it's three options. Store, online, remote, mm-hmm. it's three options. Um, store fulfilled, central fulfilled, it's two options. Measuring <laughs> and planning, installation, or neither, there's three options. Now, just with those four variables, if I were to do the analysis of which combination has the biggest problem, I have to do three times three times two times three analyses. That's 54 analyses to then say (laughs) which thing is the one that I should go after. And if I then added one more variable, whatever that might be, let's just say that there are only three. And and, and yes, uh, Jakob has just then thrown his arm up to the sky because also also as well, I I, I massively simplified this where I just said kitchen, bedroom, or rather. Because if you look at our furniture range, we've got around about 20 different ranges, depending on whether it's the the solid furniture or like – like cook shop where we have our cups and plates and so on, or the rugs, that's a different area. And we call those home furnishing businesses. We have about 20 of them. Is that the important layer or is it actually the product area? So is it <laughs> leather sofas or cloth sofas or is it armchairs? Or is, you know, it depends on what kind of granularity we want to then be able to analyze. A rough, a very, very, very rough estimation there are somewhere around, at a minimum level, there are 36 variables. At a maximum level, there are 585. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. Oh, now, 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 I mean, if I start with the 30s, let's just say those 36 variables were just binary. They were the yes or no. Yeah. Two to the power of 36 is a rather large number. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, two to the power of 30 is a billion. So two to the 36 is what? 64 billion <laughs> options. Now, two to the power of 585 is a ridiculous number. Yeah. It's approximately 10 to the power of 195. That's a lot. <laughs> if, if every atom in the universe contained a thousand billion, billion, billion universes, <laughs> the total number of atoms in all of that would be the number of permutations that we're talking about. <laughs> right? Oh. It's, it's just... All, <laughs> I remember back to when I first was looking around universities and there was a lecturer giving a little lecture called How Big is Big? So I love 10 to the power of. Um, but, but yes, it, it's just fantastically big numbers. You can't do that with a brute force methodology. Yeah, no. This, this is where something like linear regression analysis, things like applying proper ML concepts, Neural net, and then we get the fun of forward propagation and back propagation, and all of those mm-hmm, mm-hmm. combination of components there. Because if we were to then take each of the 31 events that we mentioned previously that cause imperfection, and let's say that we have these 36 variables that may contribute to those, if we get that understanding of how much each of those variables contribute to the likelihood of an imperfect order occurring, we then have a map that we can then put a heat layer on top of to then mm-hmm. say that's what we've got to go after. 
This attribute here contributes significantly to 15 of our 31 imperfect orders. Mm -hmm. We must focus on, and, and, and maybe it is kitchens, maybe it is um, installation service, maybe it's assembly, maybe it is when the customer comes to the store to order things. I don't know. I, I, I don't want to go in with preconceived ideas because the one thing I don't want is to then fall foul with confirmation bias. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We're, we're trying to move from being data aware that we know there is data to being data fueled where data takes us where we want to go to being data driven where we go where the data tells us. Mm -hmm. And that's the phase that I want to evolve to. If when you say like 35 to 500 variables and then just without inputting your own biases, um, isn't it then just kind of seeing what comes out and doing your and interpreting it as best as you can? And if it's like three variables that are most um, relevant to contributing to an imperfect order, um, wouldn't then the next step to be to interpret it back into the context of the business and that's, see then, does that even make any sense? Can this even possibly relate to each other? That's, that's absolutely. And, and that's one of the challenges that we often get. Or, and, and a lot of areas that have been deploying AI and ML is mm -hmm. that afterwards you get a result and then someone asks, how did you come to that result and what does it mean? And then it's, uh, 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 um, it's yeah. yeah, and 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 that's absolutely a yeah. The, there there is the the potential there. That's why we'll start with a smaller number of variables. Let's not start with five hundred and eighty-five. That's a bit excessive. Mm. Um, because yes, and and you're absolutely correct that that is a potential result of this, but. And, and then, because no matter what analysis we do, which, which analyses we run, that's always the next step. Mm. Because we do not want the, the next step of the work that we do to, or, or the final step of the work we do to be, oh, that's interesting. <laughs> that, that should trigger the engagement and the excitement. It's like, oh, what, Really? So, because one of the things that we have seen so far, and we were reflecting on this today as a team, is that actually so far, we haven't necessarily discovered anything that's like brand new and that no one's ever thought was going to happen mm -hmm. yet. Mm -hmm. Right. But what we have done in, in almost every case is then truly articulate what the impact is. It's like, mm -hmm. oh, that's what that means. So, so, for example, I mentioned earlier, we've got this um, perfect order rate of 80%. Mm -hmm. One of the things that came up when we were just eyeballing some figures is that the bigger the order, the lower the likelihood of perfect order. By bigger Makes the sense. order, you mean more pieces? More, or Exactly, the number of items on the order. And it's a case of, okay, well, yeah, okay, I don't think anyone's particularly surprised at that. Mm -hmm. But we can then do the analysis to say when there's one item on an order, the likelihood of a perfect order is 86 or 87%. For every item you add to an order, that drops by half a percent. Okay. Wow. <laughs> that's, that's, that's what we're seeing at the moment. So when you get a kitchen where you've got hinges and doors and cabinets and worktops and appliances, they can be up into the hundreds of items. Yeah. It doesn't go negative, by the way. We never have a minus seven. <laughs> yes. So well, it, it, does, it, it does tail off a little bit. Of, I'm glad uh, I ordered just the rack. It's, it's exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah no, for, for a rug, you, you, you absolutely nailed your selection. Um, and, and, and yes, the, the, that actual aspect of, you know, it, it, it's actually a scalability challenge that we face. 
you know, as the order scales, we get these challenges. Mm-hmm. But, um, yes, yeah, so, so, so that, uh, realization and, but, but the thing is, and, and the reason why, um, it, it triggered me into action around deploying these deeper data analytics techniques is because if you only analyze one variable at a time, if I were to give you the, because uh, we've got a graph, with a line that goes down, if I were to draw a conclusion based on that one graph, I would then say we should force every order to only have one item on it, <laughs> because that's the one that's going to that's the one that's most likely to be delivered perfectly. And, and 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 that's the thing. It's a case of we've got such a complex reality, and everybody does. All 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 of the listeners for all the companies or anyone that we're working with, the the complexity is such that looking for the silver bullet and looking for that one thing that fixes everything yeah. is somewhere between optimistic and naive. <laughs> and, and and it's then finding that balancing act because obviously then, you know, 585 variables is the other extreme, completely mm-hmm. aware. But it's then making sure that we can really go in and not do, not give a single variable answer to a multivariable situation. Because that doesn't make sense. It's not right. And, and yeah, it's just finding that balancing act because simplicity is exceptionally important. Mm-hmm. When we're broadcasting to either 10 decision makers in my steering group, a thousand decision makers in the organization who then need to actually push these operational mm-hmm. changes out or the 172,000 coworkers we have in the business who may need to operate differently the kind of simplicity that you then need to have inherent in the analysis is, is very different. Yeah. And, and simplicity is a lovely result. It's definitely something you have to push for. But uh, and we have a phrase internally within Inca, which is uh, complex for the few, simple for the many. And it's then, and, and I, I like to subtly enrich that to say it's enabling the few to embrace the complexity, to extract mm-hmm. the simplicity for the many. It's a little bit more action involved in the steps through that process. And that's the bit that we're coming to now because the things that we're talking about here and some of the numbers I've just given you, that's based on the analysis of the last two weeks. It's been <laughs> such an acceleration through this at the moment. It's wow. uh, we, we start small and scale infinitely, as Salonis like to say. We're uh, definitely going through that scaling moment. Mm. Now, um, can I ask, what would you rather have? Would you rather discover that one of those preconceived notions of what is contributes to an imperfect order like ordering more than one thing right lessens the uh, the chance of a perfect order right that kind of makes sense to everyone um you could have guessed that but now it's just confirmed by data would you rather have uh, an int- intriguing insight like this or would you rather find something that where seemingly three variables that have nothing co- in common contribute to a majority of the imperfect orders well what do you think would would you rather have I'd rather make my business better and how I get there, I don't mind. Yeah, because because the thing that I'm really aiming for here, and it's, it's the, the objectives that we have of our process and data insights lab, mm-hmm. is to make every decision that we have in Inca better. Now, would I, on a personal level, like to see you know this, this causal link that no one would ever have thought to have detected in the past and then snap it out of thin air of course i would that's some sexy stuff um but but ultimately if if we then turn around and say 
some of the ideas that we have had in the business for some time around where our pain is being manifest is true, is correct, and actually we then properly go after these things to make changes in our operation to make mm-hmm. our business better, that's the ultimate win. Mm-hmm. Would I like to do this huge amount of analysis and say, well, actually, it turns out left-handed customers wearing blue socks who shop in April, that's what causes the issue. Although I will say, just in case anyone's curious, I don't actually have that information because we need everything. <laughs> G- yeah. GDPR, no, 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 GDPR <laughs> compliance and so on. So I don't know your handedness. I don't know what color the socks are. So, um, but, but yeah, that, you know, that, that would be really interesting. Mm. I think that the thing is then, if we discover that in the data and it is something that's that disconnected, the journey to explain that to the rest of the business to yeah. then get the buy-in to make mm-hmm. the changes based on that will be a whole other kind of journey. So, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, that that will be a really, um, yeah, that's a, an interesting, that will be a lovely problem to have to experience and to then <laughs> um, figure out a way through. Now, um, what would you find uh, lacking about the usual approach on analyzing your process? And I'll say I'm guilty of this probably in your eyes as well. When you look at your process, you found those process steps that you don't like or, you know, that probably shouldn't occur in your opinion. And, you know, you filter on that, you do this typical drill down, you know, you sort it by vendors who have this worst performance uh, and then maybe drill it some more, find some materials and so on and so forth. Um, in your view, what is lacking this approach compared to this um, to this uh, very holistic view and you know analysis of of data and different uh, variables in the process? I, I think that um, there's absolutely a place for it, and that, that's still work that we have ongoing, and it's very important to look in that direction. Mm-hmm. I think that the I think it goes back to to, to one of the points I mentioned earlier that we don't have any guarantee that that actually is the biggest thing and the right thing and the important thing to go after. Mm -hmm. I think then, now I I would also say that we've already experienced the evolution of our ability to see the problem that's right in front of us and actually chase it back to the genuine root cause Mm -hmm. and and all the way back to its conclusion. Um, And and, and there, there, of course, is a place for it because the, the the speed of identifying those, the ability to bring people on board to then chase it down and to look into it is a lot easier. Um, but then, yeah, it, it goes back to if if my CFO comes to me and says, right, Tim, what are the three biggest issues we've got in the business at the moment? As, 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 um, as was mentioned earlier, I can give him a list of the three th- biggest things that we are going after, but that's not the question he asked. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, to, to then be specific enough to then say, right, we've got our biggest pain point is when a customer does not have a measuring service before they do their planning to order a kitchen. Mm-hmm. We see that if there is no measuring service there, the perfect order rate drops 25%, for example. Um, Something like that I can probably discover just mm-hmm. by doing mm-hmm. some analysis, by doing one by one by one. Um, but in order to for, for, to have that confidence that especially in 
this big end-to-end holistic process that we're in, I, I'm, I, I've been struggling to find another way to say these are definitely the three biggest things. If we were doing something a little bit smaller, and, and we've got a couple of these kinds of initiatives where we focus on um, if, if you're ordering some goods and they're going to come from one of our stores and then be delivered to you, we have this picking service in the store. That is a small area of focus. It's only 10 or 12 events. There aren't as many variables involved. Then doing this sort of bottom-up analysis absolutely works absolutely perfectly. Mm-hmm. When I'm analyzing a full end-to-end process, with a, we, we actually have in total 158 business events that we've, we're capturing. No, actually, that's gone up. It's 173 now. Events that are in the end-to-end flow. Um, going to someone in a store and saying, what do you think might go wrong when a customer orders a kitchen? It gives a perspective, a very valuable perspective, but is that going to be a holistic truth? And so, yeah, it's just taking it from that other direction. Mm, Right. Now, um, we are still in this, I would say, framing uh, part of the the whole exercise of the process improvement. Um, Once you identify, and let's say that you are at least uh, sufficiently happy with the identification of this potential root cause, might not Mm -hmm. be top three, but might be high enough on your chain of um, problems that you actually decide to go sort it out. Now... Uh, Inca and IKEA are, are is a huge organization with with so many people involved, um, and process manning is essentially just a part of this whole process improvement um, uh, exercise. So, what would be the next step then? If you actually say, okay, um, when I order kitchen, if people don't measure it before uh, the order, or if we don't send there someone to measure it before, we have a huge return rate. Um, how do you then, first of all, probably persuade the stakeholders to improve something in the process, and then second, roll out this change, which can be massive in mm. an organization of your size? Absolutely, and and they're, they're two hugely different questions. Those last two questions that you had are two hugely different answers, because the getting the 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 decision makers involved and the folks involved to then. Frame the problem, frame the opportunity, um, because we we have in the in the work that we've done so far, we actually go in, we talk to individual countries. Once mm-hmm. again, it's gaining that enthusiasm and energy and momentum, and so we go into countries. We understand what are in their business plans, what are they going after. We find something specific in the data. We bring the business experts together to really understand how the operation actually works to confirm that what our data is showing is relevant to reality. And then, especially if, uh, with the work that we're doing with the countries at the moment, we've got the buy, we, we then get the buy-in from the senior stakeholders in the country. So whether that's then the fulfillment manager, the selling manager, the commercial manager, whoever, wherever the area of the business is that we're going to then need to make the change. One of the other things that we do because we are process insights as a service and we can make suggestions to say Mm -hmm. when you're doing this picking process for customers if you're doing click and collect so the customer orders online comes to Mm -hmm. the store to collect we've seen that this works better than here or we've seen in the data that here is something that needs to be gone on we also then 
anchor that with the global responsibles for um, that operation. Because we do then have a matrix leadership set up. So there are fulfillment leaders and commercial leaders and so on at a global level who then have their matrices in the organization. Mm -hmm. So we've then got the support of the people who define the concept, the support of the people who manage the operation, the support of the people who perform the operation. And then when it comes to actually rolling this out, so your second question, um, we ourselves are not the ones who are going to be driving the change. What we're then doing is facilitating the line, making the change to themselves. And we're then mm -hmm. supporting them with the input, the analyses, and also the follow-up to then say, right, you have this rate that's 5%, you have a target of 2.5%. Mm -hmm. We've made certain changes. We can see we're trending to 3.7. We're halfway there. And then that repetitive loop to then say, right, is this the right thing to do? Have we done it in the right way? Did we miss something? Right. Have we made the thing better we wanted to make better, but then we didn't realize we've made something else worse? Any, <laughs> any of these kind of things can happen. Yeah. And, but, but at the moment, if we look at our first use cases where we are being very country-centric um, from the origin, we... You know, we go to the country where we find the problem. We then make the change there. We evidence that that change was the right one to make. And then it's a case of when we're doing that analysis, we also then look at all of the other countries because, you know, we may be working with the UK and Ireland on something, but actually that topic we're working on can also be beneficial for Spain and Finland. And then when we've packaged that, we can say, right, here's the work that we did. Here's the change that we made. Here's the result that we saw. And, and actually, we're um, doing some work on this next week where we're packaging together mm -hmm. this as like a little video that we can then put on our intranet and so on. But then also those global teams who are responsible for all click and collect, for example, can then also start rolling this functionality out to the other markets. Because our, our, our markets are, as I mentioned earlier, we're a very front-led organization. Stores have a lot of autonomy. Countries have a lot of autonomy. So. Um, in most cases, the things that we find are beneficial quite universally. Mm -hmm. The change journey we need to take people through to realize that benefit is quite different. Mm -hmm. Starting point in Finland and in Spain and in the UK won't be the same. Final result, what we want to get to, will be at the same level, but getting everybody there. Quite an interesting um, setup and quite an interesting journey for us to go through. We're learning how to do it. Well, so if you consider implementing a change, an operational change, and then you measure the outcome of said um, of said change, how much um, is is it a problem to attribute the rise and fall of the KPIs that you're measuring to specifically that change that you made, or is it best guess, or is there some sort of a best practice that you use? We um, we've got a loosely defined uh, way to do this work actually um from two till four o'clock tomorrow afternoon this is the workshop that we've got to actually then finalize these things <laughs> so uh, with, with each of the the use cases that we then look at when we do a value framing um target setting value realization phase mm -hmm. we're then looking at the different um, contributing factors to value 
which could then be a reduction in customer returns or an increase in sales, mm-hmm. an increase in available inventory, and or it could then be customer satisfaction because we've also then factored in the, the customer satisfaction surveys and so on. So we can then see when there's a perfect order, the customers are this happy. When there's an imperfect order, they are differently happy, and in most cases, less. Um, so that we can then, when we look at, right, we make a change on this particular date, in this particular flow, in this particular country. Uh, so far, the use cases that we've had so far, fortunately, the area that we've been looking to change has had a relatively stable base. Mm-hmm. That will not be universally true. Yeah. Because as with most companies, and, and especially, you know, during the pandemic and, and, and coming out of that, we're in pretty much a state of perma transformation. Mm. Things are constantly moving all of the time. Yeah. Um, and, and so then, yes, the being able to say this change made by this initiative caused this benefit and nothing else had any other impact is a bit optimistic. Mm. But we do then, you know, normalize for seasonality. We normalize for, you know, exceptions uh, as much as possible. Um, and, and, so far, we've got a, a pretty good core um, concept agreed with our business navigation and business steering functions. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's what we're then going to build upon and formalize. So at least then, even if we can't be absolutely guaranteed that the number is correct, we can at least be consistent and comparable between each of the analyses that we do. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's you know we we, we and, and as we grow and evolve over time we'll get better. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's not an easy thing. You're you're absolutely right there with that question. So now, Tim, I think uh, there are two types of listeners now. Uh, after listening to this episode, they will be like, um, "I'm super excited about process mining. I want to get in. I want to just do root cause analysis and learn some statistics. Do a course by Will van der Alst on process mining." <laughs> And then the set, second group, which is, this is so much work, uh, screw it. I'm just staying with the old way. <laughs> um, a question maybe also for especially those excited um, process owners or uh, uh, practitioners of process mining would be maybe how does your team look like? Because it seems that there is a lot of work, a lot of initiatives that are ongoing. Mm. How big is it and uh, what roles do you actually fill therein? Currently, my team is five people, including me. Okay. Um, so yeah, and and actually, this is uh, a series of conversations for the week after next. Uh, actually, based <laughs> on some of the um, things that Timo um, spoke about when he was with you uh, a few episodes ago, uh, and and also his presentation in Cellosphere, is that right now my my core COE um, is is myself as the COE lead. I've then got two what I call process improvement leads which would then be the equivalent to, say, value architects. They're the ones who are really at the coalface with the countries, with the group functions and, and understanding the um, understanding the problem, framing the issue, and so on. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've then got a, a data analyst who's then um, doing the work of putting together the uh, the analyses and the, the views and the analyses in, in EMS and so on. And then I've got a data engineer uh, who's then getting the, system, the the data out of our source systems, providing the data model and making sure that all of that structure is there. So that's mm-hmm. my Inca COE. At the moment, I'm also supplementing with um, team members from Salonis. 
So I've then got um, my AE and CDM and CDAs yeah. and, and uh, EMCs. Um, at the moment, it's the equivalent of one and a half FTEs. I've right. not got anybody full time, but it's then uh, just sort of bringing that headcount together. Uh, I will say that last week, um, sort of the, the big initiative, this sales order movement initiative I mentioned at the beginning of our mm-hmm. conversation here, uh, we had a steering group meeting there. And the material that we've presented of the successes that we've had so far, the analyses that we've had so far, um, triggered a lot of interest and excitement. I also did a presentation to our extended management team and our digital mm-hmm. organization just before Christmas. That also triggered a lot of excitement. So two to three times a day, I'm now getting approached with, what about, what about, what about, and, and, you know, new, new paradigms in which to deploy this. So what we're then looking at from a, from a COE setup is then COE leadership, someone who specifically looks after the communications. So the packaging of the results and, right. you know, the onboarding and the engagement and yep. making sure that we bring in the new people, communicate to the people who are already working alongside us. Um, someone then from a business navigation, business steering, when we look at the value realization and, mm-hmm. and the, um, you know, the, the facts, figures, the pounds and pence, euros and cents and so on. Um, that process improvement lead, data analyst, data engineer setup, mm-hmm. um, potentially over time, the process improvement lead and the data analyst roles will potentially merge that a little bit, or maybe it'll merge the other way and the engineering and the analysis will actually become closer together. Uh, we'll, we'll see how that one evolves over time. Uh, and then also under the um, analysis area, uh, I'm, I'm going to look to have a full-time data scientist within right. the team. Uh, because yeah, as as much as I love the Will van der Alst <laughs> course, and I've done the Google Data Analytics specialization <laughs> on Coursera, there's still a slight distance between what I'm capable of and someone who's got a PhD in this stuff. So um, you know, let's let's bring the true might of that intelligence to bear mm-hmm. on this, and that competence and capability mm-hmm. to bear on this. But that's then in my core COE. But the way that I'm looking to then set up is as like a hub and spoke setup. So in each of the countries, in each of the group functions, actually having the experts there and the people who know their business and know their operation and know their movement, because otherwise I'm going to end up with a core COE of 150 people. Yeah, And, and ideally, we want then this to be an ever-presence in each of the, whether we're talking about you know logistics and selling and marketing and everybody that we mentioned earlier, finance as well, so where I've most recently spent time in my career, mm-hmm. but also then in each of our 31 countries because that's where that's where the rubber hits the road. That's where we're meeting the customers. <laughs> you know, it's, it's like I, I, I started in Ikea in the countries, in the stores, but the last time I worked there full-time was 16 and a half years ago. So I don't really have a lot of relevant experience anymore. I know <laughs> the emotion of it, but I don't know the reality of it. So you've got to get close to where it really happens. Yeah. Otherwise, yeah. what we've got is an ivory tower with a wonderful piece of software with no business applicability. Yeah. And that's what we've got to avoid. And that's why I talk about it and going back to the earlier question of what would you prefer, finding something that everyone already knew or finding something brand new? It's like as long as we're making a difference to the business and as long as we're actually making a difference to the lives of the customers and the coworkers, I don't care where it comes from. 
Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's 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 the idea of the setup that we would then have. Um, Tim, uh, second to last question, actually. Um, you mentioned that uh, you are getting excited, the the management is getting excited, the people are getting excited and are approaching you. Now, a personal question to you, what is exciting for you in this whole initiative? What gets you excited? I, well, I love huge piles of data. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm a bit of a data hoarder myself. Currently working from home, there's... 65 terabytes of NAS just sitting over there. Um, so, so I love wow. playing with big data sets. That's, that's, that's lovely stuff. Um, the, the, the transparency that it gives and the undeniability of the result mm-hmm. is so, so valuable here. And because the, the, one of the phrases that I used at, at Cellosphere and I also, because uh, the week after Cellosphere, we had Salonis Day Sweden, where Michael Zink, who's the CEO mm-hmm. of, of Salonis in the Nordics, he started quoting me in one of the phrases I've started using of, you don't have to wait for everything and before you think you can get anything. Yeah. And, you know, because, uh, and, and I heard this come up at Salonis a lot, Cellosphere a lot. Um, what do you do if you don't have perfect data? How do we get perfect data? How do we get the perfect input? Whatever data you can get your hands on, you can come to conclusions. And one of the biggest conclusions you can come to is how to get better. Yep. How to make mm-hmm. your data cleaner, how to make your processes better, how to make your validations in the first place to make your processes smoother. And and the the thing that really comes up is just that aspect of improvement and getting better. Mm-hmm. And because because there's a, a a couple of things that sort of happened over the last couple of years, I, as I mentioned on my 37th birthday when I started doing um, you know the studying and stuff, mm-hmm. it was actually something my mum wrote in my birthday card because when my mum was 37, she went back to university to become a primary school teacher, and so she sort of said, "Look, at 37, you can do anything you want. You, you're still the whole of your life ahead of you." And it's like actually the one thing because I've, I've got a pretty good career, I'm positioned pretty well, I'm financially rather stable, that's all not a problem. But what I want to become is better. And actually then spreading that message. And and also then, and it took me it took me longer than it should have done to realize the resonance of this. But it goes back to that statement I made about IKEA, a better everyday life for the many people. That's the word, that's the phrase. And then the the other side of that is then um, doing a lot of reading that I've done with um, Simon Sinek's work with Start yeah. With Why and the Infinite Game and, and these Love kind of book. things. It, uh, fantastic material. So there's such an interesting perspective and a great TED Talk as well with his yeah. um, Start With Why TED Talk. It's like you can never win retail. You're never going to get to the end of it. You're never yeah. going to get to – so that constant desire to be better. Um, and, and once again, going back to – because in, in – 1976, Ingvar Kamprad, who's the founder of IKEA, is the I and the K of IKEA, mm. um, published a book that we, that we hold very dear to our hearts, The Furniture Dealer's Testament. And point nine of the nine points that he raised is many things remain to be done, a glorious future. And it's that phrase in particular of we're not done, we're not finished, we can always strive to be that little bit better, that mm-hmm. little bit, or not even just that little bit, but in some cases, a big bit. Um, so, so yeah, that the, the, the greatest ability that I have seen in my time with the company 
to truly articulate what we can do to be better than we are today. Wow. Very well said. I really resonate with these words. And final question, Tim, before we let you go, uh, where can people find you and eventually raise a question or uh, catch up with you? LinkedIn is probably the easiest way. It's the good thing about having a nice short name. I'm nice and easy to find. <laughs> um, I'm Tim Hills, the, the, well, although we're not recording video here, but the only difference there is that I don't have the facial hair. Um, this is very much a, this is very much a COVID situation. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, uh, Tim Hills is an easy place to find me, uh, on LinkedIn. Um, so yeah, if anyone wants to get in touch, anyone has any questions, anyone has any thoughts, absolutely please feel free. Yeah. Uh, we will definitely tag Tim in the show notes, so be sure to read them uh, either on Process and Block or just go on a mindingyourbusinesspodcast.com. Um, Tim, nothing more to say than thank you very much for this enlightening discussion. I really, really enjoyed it, and I hope uh, and I know actually that our audience did as well. So thank you for coming to our podcast. You're more than welcome. Thank you for your time, everybody. Uh, dear listeners, thank you as well for tuning in on another show um, of uh, full of process mining and discussion on how to get more out of your process data. Uh, we are very happy to have you. If you like the show, rate us. Um, you can leave a few good stars on Spotify or Apple Podcast. Uh, and if you have any questions, just reach out either through email at miningyourbusinesspodcast at gmail.com or just reach out to LinkedIn as well. We are there quite active ourselves. So Patrick, Tim, thank you very much for today's session and thank you all. Bye-bye.